Hello, and welcome to the Strange Matters Podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss anything that is bizarre, mysterious, and unexplained. I am your host, Sean, and for this episode, we are presenting a collection of local myths, folklore, and urban legends that we have been collecting from our listeners. In our previous listener-based episode, we were asking for our listeners to send in their own personal creepy and paranormal encounters, and we got some pretty good stories. For this episode, we got even more feedback, so big thanks to everyone who shared with us some of the interesting tales from where they live from around the world. We even got some stories sent in to us from fellow podcast hosts from our Dark Myths Collective, which was pretty awesome. The Dark Myths is a group of like-minded podcasts, with genres ranging from mysteries, paranormal, and history. So if you were looking for some other podcast to listen to, check out the whole lineup at darkmyths.org. With all that said, let's get started and present the first listener story of the episode. The first tale was sent in to us from Raffaella from Austria, and she writes, It's not really an urban legend, but a story that Austrians keep telling each other, and that is believed to be true. In the early 50s, there was an Austrian couple owning a nice house in the countryside, caring well for their 16-year-old daughter and their loyal dog, a German Shepherd. One day, they told their daughter that they would go on vacation for the first time without her. Happy about the freedom and independence, she was looking forward to the time alone. However, the parents were still concerned when they left, but since there was the loyal dog, who always protected the home by barking at strangers, they didn't suspect anything bad would happen. As the nights being alone passed on, the girl was afraid of the noises in the night. It was an old house, and she was hearing the wind and the sounds from the forest nearby. Whenever she was really afraid, she would put her hand down the side of the bed where the dog was sleeping. The loyal dog would always lick her hand, and its warm and familiar feeling tongue gave her a feeling of security and comfort till she fell asleep. But one night she simply couldn't fall asleep. Even though the dog comforted her with the licking of her hand like every other night, she was hearing a dropping sound coming from the bathroom, like a leaking tap that's letting water drip into the sink. After some time, she decided to get up and check what was wrong in the bathroom. When she entered the bathroom and turned on the light, she saw something so terribly gruesome. The collar, tied to a hook on the wall, there hanging was the body of her dead dog, stabbed, blood dripping into the sink, creating that dripping sound she was hearing. On the wall, next to the dog, there was written in blood, murderers can lick hands also. Very creepy tale. Whether this story is simply a made-up urban legend, or perhaps just an exaggeration of an existing crime, it still is certainly pretty disturbing, especially reading it late at night like I did. I'm sure many of you listeners have heard legends such as this, a tale of a murderer hiding out in someone's house. It reminds me of that pretty well-known urban legend that I heard growing up called The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs, which goes like this for those who haven't heard of it. A teenage girl is babysitting at night. The children have been put to bed upstairs, and the babysitter is downstairs watching TV. The phone rings, and a man is laughing, telling her to check on the children. She at first dismisses the call. After a second call of the man laughing and asking her to check on the children, she asks who it is, but the caller hangs up. 
Again, rather than checking on the children, the teenager just decides to ignore the call and goes back to watching TV. However, the stranger calls back again. Eventually, the girl becomes scared and worried and calls the police, who tells her they will trace the next call. Sure enough, after he calls again and laughs at her and repeats the same thing, the scared girl hangs up. A few minutes later, the police call back, telling her that the call is coming from inside the house and to get out now. She runs outside and shortly after, the police meet her. They explain that the calls were coming from inside the house and he was calling her after killing each child. Now though widely believed to just be a myth, this famous legend is actually based on an actual crime taking place in the 50s, in which a babysitter is unfortunately attacked and killed in a crime that is still unsolved to this day. There's also another variation I've heard of this babysitting legend, which to me is just as, if not more scary, where instead of repeated phone calls, the babysitter is disturbed by a creepy, disturbing, midget-sized clown doll in the little boy's room. After she checks on the child several times with this freaky, life-size clown doll in the room, she starts to think that it almost seems as if it's never quite in the same spot as she saw before. It might just be her imagination, though. When the mom calls late that night, the babysitter asks if she can move this clown doll somewhere else where she doesn't have to look at it. The mom pauses for a second, and then responds in a confused manner, saying that her kid doesn't have a clown doll in his room. So with all that said, I think perhaps this Austrian dog murderer story might actually have some historic basis, as does the infamous babysitter campfire stories. Perhaps the teenage girl really was spending some time by herself, and awoke to found that someone had broken into the house, perhaps killing the dog when it came to investigate the noises. I think a crime like that could easily become exaggerated and changed throughout the years until it became a completely different and creepy story, just like the babysitter urban legends became. Whether the hand-licking murderer tale is based off a real crime or is purely fictional, it still is a very creepy and unnerving story. So thanks again, Raffaella, for sharing this spooky tale from Austria with us. The next story was sent in by Thomas from England, and this is about the suicide pool. This legend is about the suicide pool, found somewhere in the Epping Forest in England. There are tales that this pool has some kind of dark energy or paranormal substance to it, drawing people in towards the pool to end their lives. The legend starts centuries ago. As the story goes, two young teen lovers began to meet at a special pool located deep in the forest, unknown to most people. The lovers had to keep it secret, as their families would not allow them to be together. However, one time the suspecting father followed his daughter out to the pool where she waited to meet her man. There are a few variations on what happens next. Some say the father directly confronted his daughter. Others say he waited till the boy showed up also. Regardless, the father grew into a fit of rage at finding out his daughter was seeing this boy and ended up killing her. The young lad, seeing his love dead at the edge of the pool, could not take the heartache and killed himself at the same spot also. It is then that the weird events started to take place around the pool. Supposedly the water started to darken after that date, until it would eventually become completely still and black. No birds could be heard chirping around the pool, and any animals who came to drink of the waters would end up dying from its toxic nature. In the years after, a few people's bodies were found at the edge of the pool as well, with signs that they had drowned themselves. 
since those close to the deceased could think of no reasons why they would kill themselves. It started to be believed that it was the dark presence of the pool itself that was drawing people towards it and forcing them to drown themselves. As to where this suicide pool is today, no one knows for sure. It has apparently been lost as time went on. A magazine actually ran a contest to see who could find this dreaded pool, but no one could ever find it. A few select people, though, have said to know the location of the pool, but have sworn to never reveal it to anyone else. One writer has said of the infamous body of water, The suicide pool is deep in the heart of the forest, far from any road. It is dank, evil, and malignant, with an atmosphere unpleasant beyond description. I doubt if the sunshine ever penetrates through the surrounding trees. If it did, it would never lighten the black waters. So thank you, Thomas, for sending in this story of the Epping suicide pool. This seems like a classic haunted location story. You have a violent encounter that leaves two innocent lovers dead, causing some type of ghostly or evil spirit to roam the grounds of the pool. Though since no one has been able to find such a body of water described in the story in the actual Epping Forest, it might be safe to assume that this entire tale is just fiction. Perhaps the pool simply dried up, though, after several centuries, leaving no signs as to where the original location could be found. Whether there ever was any such pool might remain an unsolved mystery, but the legend remains as one of just many spooky stories that have come from England. So thanks again, Thomas, for sharing that story with us. Next up is a real-life story that comes from Jordan Bone Party, host of the Nighttime Podcast and fellow member of Dark Miss. Jordan writes a short little story from up in Nova Scotia, Canada. This is the story of the drunkards. As a kid, I lived on a dead-end street surrounded by forest. Us kids were always scared to go too far into the woods for fear of running into the drunkards or drunk homeless people who lived in the woods. In the day, when we thought they were less active, we would search for the drunkards' camps. And the odd thing is, we often found them. Makeshift lean-tos with a fire pit, and some empty bottles and cans and often porn mags. As an adult looking back, I can't explain it. I lived in a good neighborhood far from downtown. Who were these people? Thanks, Jordan, for this short little story. It's unique amongst the other stories sent in, as there is little doubt these encounters actually happened. The bizarre part about this case, though, is why these homeless drunkard camps were there in the first place. It does remind me of a few tales I heard myself growing up in several different places. Seems to be a lot of stories that are told amongst kids of some type of outsiders or dangerous people living nearby. It would be interesting to know if these settlements and camps that Jordan and his friends found were actually being used at the time, or if they were just leftovers. Perhaps a place these vagabonds used to live before the houses came up. Or maybe it was a group of nomadic homeless or something like that. A group who just made camps where they happened to stop at night. It is pretty odd though having this kind of camp near a good neighborhood, as he mentions. It doesn't seem like the type of place you would normally think a group of drunken degenerates would want to hang out. On the other hand, maybe it was all just a bunch of neighborhood dads who like to go a little bit into the woods and make a fire and drink some beers away from their families. Who knows? Whatever the case, I can definitely see why these kids were so curious at the time and would want to try to find these places and, and wonder who lived there. It's just the sort of local mystery that me and my fellow host Eric would try to look into when we were younger as well. So thanks, Jordan, for letting us know about your old childhood mystery. 
And if any of you listeners are looking for another podcast that deals with mysteries and some paranormal aspects to the stories, check out his show, The Nighttime Podcast. Personally, it's one of my favorite ones to listen to when I'm not working on Strange Matters. So thanks again, Jordan. And now we will move on to our next legend of the episode, with the remaining mysteries all taking place in the United States. Our next case was sent in by Cody, and this mystery takes place near the city of Reno in the state of Nevada. This legend surrounds Pyramid Lake, and of the supposed water babies that are said to be haunting it. Many people may be familiar with Pyramid Lake without actually knowing it, since a picture of this lake is one of the default iPad screensavers. The lake itself is filled with large limestone formations, with the largest one shaped like a huge pyramid, giving the lake its name. Members of the nearby Native American Paiute tribe, who have lived in the 350-foot sink for centuries, claim to this day that there are dark and evil spirits that live in the depths of the lake. According to the lore, in times past the Paiute tribe would have the unfortunate task of throwing disabled and premature babies into the lake. The reason behind this sad ritual was that the afflicted babies would be unlikely to survive in the harsh climate and punishing conditions of the Nevada desert. Thus, it was a ceremony of mercy rather than cruelty. However, the spirits of these infants, known now as the water babies, allegedly haunt the lake, perhaps angry with not being given a fair chance to live. Those who go to visit Pyramid Lake claim to be able to hear the cries and wails when they get too close to the lake shore. There's a local saying around the lake that goes, if you hear them, you will have bad luck. If you see them, you are dead. Obviously, no one has seen any of these water babies, as the legend has it that anyone who has had the misfortune to witness one never survives the encounter. Besides the water babies, there is another legend surrounding Pyramid Lake, one of a mermaid. According to this legend, the lake was the home of a mermaid who fell in love with and married a member of the local tribe. However, after returning to the village, she was exiled and banished from the scared people. Heartbroken and angry, the mermaid swore revenge on anyone who came too close to the water's edge, and locals warned of the dangers of straying close to the shoreline. Though these tales may just seem to be myths and legends, some visitors swear they feel something dark around the lake. Also, supposedly there have been a number of fishermen who have gone missing while venturing to the lake, some would say that these poor souls became the victims of the haunted water babies, or perhaps of the furious mermaid who is still said to be roaming the waters. Next up is a story sent in by Kate from Tennessee, and she writes in saying, I grew up in a tiny semi-rural town in East Tennessee, population barely over a thousand. My dad had grown up in the same town, although he and my mother divorced when I was three and he had moved out of state. Among the local lore was a ghost story every kid in town believed was true. According to this story, one night a bank robber was fleeing the scene of his crime on a motorcycle. As he passed Sawmill Road, a huge hand reached down for him from the sky. Terrified, the robber wrecked his motorcycle and died. Anyone who visited Sawmill Road at precisely 10 o'clock at night would witness the hand come out of the sky and hear the ghostly wreck occur. It sounds pretty silly now that I write it down, but it terrified me as a kid. It doesn't help that Sawmill Road is a lonely street that dead ends into the woods. 
There are a few houses and small businesses there now. By the time, it was spooky enough that we never dared to go there alone. As I grew older, the story stayed with me. I used it in a few short stories and sometimes wondered if parts of the tale were true. Then a few years ago, shortly after my dad died, I visited my aunt, one of my dad's younger sisters. We started talking about people and places we remembered from our hometown, and I mentioned the ghost story. My aunt was flabbergasted. She said, Your dad made that story up when we were kids to scare us. She couldn't believe that it had passed into the local folklore. Now I know one way at least that local legends get started. Someone's dad wanted to scare his little sisters. Thank you, Kate, for sharing this story with us. Though this tale turns out to be completely made up, that actually makes it one of the more interesting legends that were sent in. It's not often that we get to know exactly the origin of some of these urban legend stories. And the fact Kate found out her dad made up the whole thing is pretty funny. You can see how this kind of spooky tale could spread quickly in a small town like this among the children. I'm sure there are countless other legends that are by now widespread that started off just as a way for someone to scare their friends. Actually, this tale reminds me of something I would try to pull off as a kid. I love coming up with strange or scary stories and trying to convince others it was real. And while I might have been able to fool one or two fellow kids with these stories, I could never pull off what Kate's father did in creating his very own local legend. So that's a very cool little urban folklore story there, so thanks Kate for telling us about it. Our next local myth comes from Ryan, down in New Orleans, Louisiana. Ryan is one of the guys behind the Rumor Flies podcast, which deals with discussing and debunking a variety of rumors, myths, and misconceptions. It's also pretty funny, so if you're looking for an interesting but lighthearted podcast, check them out at Rumor Flies. Ryan wrote to us and told us to look into one of the popular myths around New Orleans, the Honey Island Swamp Monster. Now, besides sounding like the title of an awesomely bad 1970s horror movie, the Honey Island Swamp Monster is a hominid cryptid that has been seen around the Honey Island Swamp since the 1960s. And a cryptid is a term used for any creature or animal whose existence has not yet been verified by science. This swamp monster is claimed to be around 7 feet tall and walks upright on 2 feet, similar to the very popular Bigfoot creature. Now, this monster reminds me of the skunk ape, which we covered in a previous episode, which was said to roam around the state of Florida around the same time as this Honey Island swamp monster was first seen. Also, just like the skunk ape, the swamp monster is said to have a horrible stench surrounding him. There are a few other similarities between these two creatures, which makes me think that perhaps they are cousins of some sort. Or it could be the very same beast, which lives mostly in the swamps of Louisiana, but he also has a summer vacation spot in Florida that he visits for some time. As for the history behind this particular cryptid, the Honey Island Swamp Monster was first spotted in 1963 by a man named Harlan Ford and his friend, Billy Mills. Harlan had recently taken up the hobby of wildlife photography when he claims to have come across this hideous, stinky beast. He even has some 8mm film footage of the beast, though to me it is very hard to make out what exactly the subject of the film is because of the film quality distance in all the trees. To me it could very well just be a man wearing a large fur coat or some type of costume. However, Ford absolutely believed that what he saw was some type of abnormal creature. Ford and his friend Mills said that they found 
webbed three-toed footprints that belonged to the creature as well. There was another man named Ted Williams, who also claims to have run into this creature on several occasions. Ted said after one of his encounters, I could have killed them, but I didn't because they didn't seem to want to harm me. Ted has mentioned that he saw several of the creatures at the same time, suggesting that the swamp monster is not a solitary beast. More information could not be given by Ted Williams though, as one day he took his boat back into the swamps, and neither he nor his boat was ever seen again. As for the theories behind this creature's existence, I couldn't find anything that I can consider reasonable. One of the possible solutions I came across for this creature's existence is that there were a number of chimps who escaped captivity and ran off into the swamps. There, they decided to do the obvious thing and began mating with the swamp alligators. That would make the swamp monsters a mixed hybrid creature combining chimp and alligator DNA, making it an unusual and formidable specimen indeed. However, this is unlikely due to the fact that science has proven without a doubt that chimps and alligators cannot interbreed, so that basically debunks this idea. Though, to take one of the ideas we discussed in our earlier Chupacabra episode, perhaps some crazed scientist figured out a way to create a genetic freak hybrid type animal in his lab, and then it somehow escaped into the wilderness. It does seem unlikely, but to me, I think that theory sounds more reasonable than a gang of chimps partying with a bunch of irritable swamp gators. Another theory out there is that it could be that the Bigfoot creature traveled down to Louisiana and evolved to webbed feet due to the swamp's habitat. The problem with this theory is that it hinges on the fact that Bigfoot exists in the first place, which is also highly debatable. Also, evolution is not something that can occur in a matter of years. It usually takes many generations for even small changes to adapt. This makes this theory pretty unreasonable. It is most likely that the Honey Island Swamp Monster just never actually existed. It could be a hoax that was pulled off by Harlan Ford, perhaps wanting to cash in on the popularity of Bigfoot. Or it could be that Harlan was sincere in his intentions, but what he thought was a swamp monster was really just either a man in the distance or another known animal like a bear. Regardless, the Honey Island Swamp Monster is still a mystery to this day, with people venturing into the swamp to see if they can come across the large, foul-smelling beast themselves. Our last topic of this episode is the Bridgewater Triangle. This topic was sent in to us by Sam, another one of our podcasting buddies who hosts the Inward Empire podcast. Inward Empire is a history-based podcast dealing with exploring the roles of ideas and ideology in American history. So for any history buffs out there, you should definitely check that one out. The Bridgewater Triangle is a stretch of land in Sam's native state of Massachusetts. The three cities of Abington, Rehoboth, and Freetown make up the three points of the triangle, encompassing an area of around 200 square miles, or over 500 square kilometers. Now, the Bridgewater Triangle is pretty much a strange matters goldmine, as within this area there are reports of paranormal activity, UFO sightings, Bigfoot sightings, encounters with other cryptids like the Thunderbird, and a whole lot of other strange stuff. The Bridgewater Triangle is said to be one of the world's most concentrated areas of diverse paranormal reports. Within the Triangle, there are a couple of well-known landmarks. This includes Hockamock Swamp, named by the natives meaning the place where spirits dwell. Devil Swamp is what English settlers of colonial times named it. 
For hundreds of years, the Hockamock and surrounding areas have been a hotbed of reported supernatural events and strange sightings and experiences. Hockamock itself is a spot of some paranormal activity, including encounters with ghosts and poltergeist. Also within the area is the Freetown Fall River State Forest, and this forest has quite a reputation, as supposedly has been the site of various cult activity, including animal sacrifices, livestock mutilation, and ritualistic murders. There has also been reports of several gangland murders and a number of suicides. Those who have studied paranormal events have speculated that negative and perhaps evil energy was created when the Native Americans of the region were badly persecuted and that the energy continues to circulate in the Hockamock. Some say that the wounded and pained spirits of the native tribes are the reason for the paranormal events inside the swamp. Due to these lasting spirits, a number of people who have visited the swamp believe it is cursed. Disturbingly, through the years there have also been reports of cult and satanic rituals conducted within the swamp. Going back to the early 1900s, there have been several reported sightings of low-flying UFOs within the Bridgewater Triangle. The first UFO sighting over Bridgewater was in 1760 and was described as a sphere of fire that was so bright it cast shadows in broad daylight. Another was sighted on Halloween night in 1908 by two undertakers, no doubt a sight which spooked them pretty badly. From the 60s to the present day, reports of dozens more UFOs have still been seen in the vicinity. An area resident named Courtney Cullen says that she saw what she believes was a UFO in the summer of 1999. She was at a cookout in the Bridgewater area. Courtney said in an interview, Suddenly there was noise, wicked loud, and next there were lights in the sky. No color, but just bright lights. They were descending fast, like coming straight at the house behind where we were at the cookout. And just as it seemed that the lights were going to crash into the house, they darted sideways at an unbelievable speed, and soon they just disappeared. Along with the ghostly sightings and the UFOs, there have been a good number of reports of mysterious creatures roaming the triangle as well. The most popular is that of a Bigfoot-like creature, which has been seen several times in the past decade. Also, there are rumors of a large, vicious phantom dog with glowing red eyes near the swamp. This demonic-looking dog beast was spotted one time killing two ponies. The witness, who was the owner of the ponies, said that the beast ripped their throats out and was almost as big as the ponies themselves. Luckily, he was able to escape and avoid a similar fate. Along with the various land-bound mythical creatures, another popular cryptid scene in the area could be found up in the sky. Since 1971, several sightings of phenomenally large black birds with wingspans that stretch from 8 to 12 feet have been reported as well. Coincidentally, the first of these reports originated from Bird Hill in Hockamock Swamp. In 1984, two of these avian creatures were allegedly seen fighting in midair. Many believe that these flying creatures are what is known as Thunderbirds, legendary flying beasts that date back to the tribes of Native Americans. Now, All that is just a quick rundown of the many strange and bizarre mysteries and legends hidden within the Bridgewater Triangle. It really is a fascinating area given its long history, as well as all the paranormal and cryptozoological sightings. So thanks, Sam, for letting us know about this strange little area of land. And that brings us to the end of this episode. 
I would like to thank everyone who sent in messages, telling us all about the mysterious myths, folklore, and urban legends from your native homes. I really enjoyed reading all about the strange tales told in this episode, as they were all new to me, and I hope the rest of you listeners enjoyed listening to them as well. As for the content of our next listener-based episode, we would like to hear about what your favorite haunted places are around the world. This could include structures like a house, asylums, or hotels that are claimed to be haunted, or even places of nature, such as Pyramid Lake discussed in this episode, which some say are still roamed by evil spirits. A few of you have already sent in your favorite tales of haunted places, so we will be sure to start with you. But for any other listeners out there who are particularly interested in a story or are fond of a haunted location, whether it is close by or somewhere else in the world, please let us know. You can send in your feedback and suggestions for other topics to us at our email, strangematterspodcast at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us by our Facebook page or Twitter. You can check out our website at strangematterspodcast.com, where you can comment, listen, and download all of our episodes. Again, a reminder to our listeners to check out all the other great podcasts over at Dark Myths. We highly recommend listening to the Nighttime Podcast, Rumor Flies, and The Inward Empire. All great shows. Finally, we ask if you are listening to us on iTunes and enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and a review. It means a lot to us to be able to read your feedback, and it also helps promote the show so we can find new listeners. With all that said, and until the next episode of the Strange Matters Podcast, take care, everybody.